If you have a Bible, please turn to Ephesians chapter 5, Ephesians 5. Tonight, I want to talk about marriage. Um, And so, (laughs) someone groan? (laughs) Is that a groan? Um, So, yeah, I want to talk about marriage tonight. And talking and teaching on the subject of marriage is a very difficult subject to teach on in San Francisco. Because when I bring up marriage, immediately there are, kind of, there are all kinds of questions and experiences that show up in this room uh, that surround the topic of marriage in our modern world and in the city, questions about marriage equality, uh, gender roles in marriage, uh, the reality of divorce. Then there are people who are not married but really want to be. So this is a very sore subject for you, and you want me to answer all these questions, or maybe you just want to fight because you're just you're really angry and you're and you're tired of, of the, the landscape of San Francisco. Um, and some of us are married, and we might be thinking, what did we get ourselves into? <clears throat> and you didn't think it would be this hard, and you don't know if you could make it. Um, and to be really transparent, the subject of marriage is a particularly difficult subject for me to teach on personally. I, I love my wife, Ashley. Um, I've loved her ever since she was 14 years old when, uh, after just two months of dating, I told my dad that I was going to marry her, and he was like, calm down. Um, (laughs) This is your first love. Don't get your hopes up. All that stuff. Thanks, Dad. Um, But our marriage has been really hard, very, very hard, especially in the last eight years living in San Francisco and doing ministry here. Uh, I think the last time I taught on marriage was 2011, and since that time, uh, Ash and I have been trying to just live what we believe the scriptures say about marriage and not try to teach on it at all. Um, but every year in our premarital class, uh, th- that, uh, every year in our premarital class, the ones that we have, um, the class asks Ash and I to do the opening talk on covenant. And they go, Dave, we want you and Ash to do this opening talk on covenant. And I say no every single time. No, I'm not doing it. And then I'm convinced by one of our dear friends, Linda Hale, who is here somewhere hiding, she said she would stand up and give a bow and thank you. There it is. There, see? Um, so Linda convinced me, or actually she makes me. She says, I don't care if you don't want to teach on marriage. Um, you need to teach on this subject. This is really, really important. And so I say, well, okay, it's not going to be pretty. Um, I will tell them what the Bible says about covenant, and I'll talk about how difficult marriage is, and it's not my fault if you have no one left in the class after I'm done with this class. That's on you. So... Um, So marriage is a a difficult subject for me to teach on, and it's difficult in the city, but here we are. We come to Ephesians chapter 5, verses 21 through through 33, the longest and most in-depth passage on marriage in the whole New Testament, and it's rich, and it's beautiful, and it's challenging, and honestly, at times, it's confusing. Now, as I read this text tonight, Ephesians chapter 5, as I read this text, um, what... You know, you're going to start to interpret this text with suspicion. That's the first thing that's going to pop in your mind. It's a lot of suspicion when I start reading this text. You will hear something and start to think how better, how I better explain something away, or you will start to argue with the text and not agree with it or be suspect to this text. But let me ask you to do something tonight. Instead of suspicion, can I ask you to approach this text with curiosity? Instead of, in the next two weeks when we're in this text, instead of starting to argue with it, why don't you, let's all of us ask, is there something here from God that I can learn from? So instead of suspicion, 
curiosity. So allow me to read this. Um, and let's ask tonight what we can learn from this ancient inspired text in our modern marriages today. So verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. And to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. This is God's word. Let's pray. Lord, tonight as we discuss marriage, I pray for a spiritual authority and awakening to happen by your spirit given to the scriptures, Lord. Honestly, there's a lot of times we approach the text and we don't give it the weight it's due. We bring a lot of suspicion to it. I am guilty of this, just like probably all of us are. But tonight we pray that we would sit under the, the power of the scriptures and it would teach us. I pray for all of us that come with different experiences, wanting um, maybe even me as a pastor to say certain things about this text. And I ask, God, that we would hear from you, that the words that are from my flesh would burn away and the things that are from your spirit would abide and take root and grow. I pray that you would strengthen marriages, that you would strengthen single people in their endeavor to follow you and seek you as single people. Um, and above all, I pray that all of us would glorify Jesus. So, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O oh God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, there's no way to really exhaust this passage, but I, what I want to do for the next two weeks, so it'll be a two-week teaching on this, I'm, I have three points, um, and I'm going to do the first point tonight and the next two points next week. So the, this, is, this is how I want to learn from this text um, this, path, this way through. First, the meaning of marriage. I want to talk about the meaning of marriage from this text, the unity of marriage, and then the reality of marriage. The meaning of marriage, what marriage is, that's tonight. The unity of marriage, what marriage does. And the reality of marriage, what ultimately marriage is about. Those, those are next week. So first, tonight, the meaning of marriage. Paul summarizes the definition of marriage in verse 31. Look at verse 31 again. For this reason, he says, and notice it's in quotes, even in your Bible. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Paul here is quoting Genesis chapter 2, verses 24 and 25. Verse, Genesis 2, 24 says, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. 
And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. This here is marital covenantal language. This is covenant. This is leave and cleave. The old King James Version says a, a, a husband shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. This is leave and cleave language. This is leaving the home to start a new home language. It's the fusing of two lives together on every single level that is most vividly and beautifully symbolized in sexual intercourse. It speaks of a commitment that cannot be broken. Marriage covenant speaks of a love that is more than a feeling. Marriage covenant is a nakedness that isn't just about not wearing clothes. It's about where souls are completely exposed and held in a marriage covenant. This unification of husband and wife is called a covenant. Marriage is a covenant. And a covenant is a permanent and personal binding commitment you make to another person. A permanent meaning it's there forever. And it's personal, meaning you're, you're binding yourself to another human soul. And it's a commitment that you make to another person forever. It's not a declaration of present love. It kind of is. When you, when you're, when, I, I imagine that everyone in here has been to a wedding, or you've been in a wedding, if you've been in your own wedding. You are, you are saying, I love you right now. It is a declaration of present love, but it isn't only the, the, the declaration of present love. Uh, covenant is, the, is a binding promise of future love. So what you're doing at, 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 at a, in a marriage ceremony, you're like, I love you today. And that's true. I love you right now today. And you look marvelous. You look great. And everything is great here. This is awesome. I spent a lot of money on this. This is great. <laughs> Present love. I love you so much. We, we, we did all this stuff, right? But what I'm doing right now is I'm, I'm, bind, I'm, I'm binding myself to you for future love. It's not a promise to feel in love all the time. That's not what you're promising. It's the promise to be loving and faithful and valuing and serving regardless of the ups and downs and emotions of the circumstances that you two will go through for the rest of your lives. That's what covenant is. It's literally the vows that you make. This is what you actually say. Now, I know a lot of us, you know, we give people the vows when we get married and they read them like, oh, these look good. Great. Let's say these. And you hear them in weddings. You're like, oh, that was cute. The, the vows. Oh, my gosh. How cute. This is so good. But if you really look at the vows, they should scare you to death. Let's do that. Let's just keep them up on the screen for a second. These are the vows that we read to couples when they get married here at Reality. This is what they say to another human person. And they mean it. And then they sign a legal document binding them together by the state of California. And before God. If that wasn't enough. I promise in covenant before God and these witnesses, to be your loving and faithful wife or husband. I choose to love you in joy and in sorrow, in plenty and in want, in sickness and in health, to serve you as Christ commands. All that I am, all that I have, I give to you as long as we both shall live. Keep that up there. Now, I say that, again, if you're surrounded by flowers and a tuxedo and a dress, like all this stuff, like, oh my gosh, the vows, so good and dear and cute and all those things, right? We hear them, we're like, oh, this is my favorite part. But when you really take them out of the context of a, of a wedding and you just read them, you're like, um, I don't know about that. <laughs> Look at what you're doing. Look what you're opting into. 
I choose to love you. I choose to love you. In joy, that will be easy. In sorrow. And the deepest sorrow that another person could ever, this, you're going to bind yourself to another person and they, there is no one on earth that can hurt you as much as they can. And when they do, and if they do, I will love you even then. I will choose to love you even then. And in plenty, I, you know, when, when people have plenty, it kind of changes their priorities a bit. So sometimes it's hard to love when you are, when two people are really successful. But also in want, and that's where it gets really difficult. I will love you when we, when there's all these things that I want out of marriage, and we go through times of being really, really in want, whether it's financially in want or there's things I want out of this marriage that I'm not getting. I will choose to love you anyway. And in sickness, I will choose to love you when you get sick. And I don't know if you're going to get sick. You might get sick physically. You might get sick mentally. You might get sick emotionally. You might get sick spiritually. And I will love you through that. I have no idea what I'm getting into. But what I'm choosing to do is love you through that. I have no idea the kind of person that you will become. But I will choose right now to love you through that. And not only that, I will bind myself to you before God and these witnesses. And every single time I do these, these vows in a wedding ceremony, I will then now turn to the audience. Well, actually, they're, they're witnesses, by the way. They're not just audiences. They're not just guests. They're witnesses. And I tell them this. I say, witnesses, you are not just here for the free food. You're not just here to dance. You're not here not to drink free wine, good wine. You are witnesses to these vows. These vows mean something. You have to hold them to these vows. You have to say to them when things get tough and they come to you and they're going, I don't know if I, I can make this marriage. You're like, you, this is what you're saying that you're doing. I mean, I know you might have got into this thing. You're like, I don't know what I was signing up for. I just thought I was a guest at their wedding. No, 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 no. You're a witness to their vows. And you're saying, I witnessed these vows and I want to be a part of holding you to these vows, which means you should probably stick to your vows as well. We're all in this together. Does that mean, I mean, that's kind of heavy. Maybe too heavy for a lot of people when they show up to a wedding. But I do this anyway. I don't really care. Like, this is what this means. And so when these people come to you and they're like, I don't know, this is hard. I don't know if I can do this wedding. I don't know if I can really keep doing this. What you do, you say to them, yes, marriage is hard. And it seems like you are living through a lot of sorrow. And it seems like you are living through a lot of want and a lot of sickness. And I'm here for you. But I want to remind you that I was there not for your free food, that I was there and I heard you make a vow to love them as Christ commands through every single difficult time. So we're going to get through this together, but you made a vow. I tell the witnesses, you are here as witnesses to these vows. And here's the thing about a covenant. You can't get out of a covenant. You can't get out of a covenant. There are only two exceptions in the New Testament of giving out, getting out of a marital covenant. They are adultery and physical abandonment. But both of, these, both of these have a hope of reconciliation. See, covenant is a lifelong binding commitment that expects and anticipates the ups and downs of future life. It's built into the vows. It's like, okay, you're going to go through life, and you're saying yes to this person when you're 24 years old. I was, or I was 23, I don't remember. I was something like that. Or when you're 34, however old, you're saying yes to them in your 20s, which you don't even know what you're getting into in your 60s, but you're going to say, whatever we get into, we're into it together. Now, for some of us in here, that scares you. 
in premarital class, I, I scare everyone by saying, okay, let everyone look across the table from you, and you're saying yes to this person. You're saying, I love you right now, and I love a great many things about you right now, and getting married to you right now is, sounds so fun, and I'm saying that I will also love you in 15 years from now when you're a completely different person. And then everyone's like, whoa, wait. <laughs> Some of you in here think this is crazy. You're like, wait, wait, this idea of marriage is crazy. I would say, I would, say, I would argue that it's beautiful. This idea of marriage is beautiful. And at some level, it's what we all long for. All of us long for love that lasts beyond flings, beyond looks, beyond life stages, beyond what our body goes through, beyond what our mind goes through, beyond how much money we make and we don't make, through every success and failure. We actually long for a love that lasts like this. But the reason why we think committing to someone at one stage of our lives, the rest of our lives is crazy, is that the idea of modern marriage is more like uh, in our culture has m more to do with personal satisfaction and personal fulfillment. That's why we get married. We get married because you complete me, we say. Oh my gosh, you make me so happy. You satisfy me. You fulfill me. And I want you to fulfill me for the rest of my life. And we believe that marriage is about our happiness. Duke University ethics professor Stanley Hauerwas made this point. He said this. He said, destructive to marriage, okay, hang on, this is, this is going to hurt some of you. So just listen. Destructive to marriage is the self-fulfillment ethic that assumes marriage and the family are primarily institutions of personal fulfillment necessary for us to become, quote, whole and happy. The assumption is that there is someone just right for us to marry, and that if we look closely enough, we will find the right person. This moral assumption overlooks a crucial aspect to marriage. It fails to appreciate the fact that we always marry the wrong person. Some of us laughed. It's so true. The assumption is that there's someone right out there, but this moral assumption overlooks this crucial aspect of marriage. You always marry the wrong person. We never know whom we marry. We just think we do. Or even if we first marry the right person, give it a while, and he or she will change. For marriage, being the enormous thing that it is, means that we are not the same person after we've entered into it. Harawas is likening marriage to like going to war. It's like, you don't come back the same. This change, it's so gnarly, it changes you. This is what he's saying. He's like, you don't, you don't appreciate the fact that when you get into marriage, marriage is so crazy that it changes you. You're not the same person that you were when you stood at the altar. And he says, the last sentence, the primary problem is learning how to love and care for the stranger to whom you find yourself married. See, we have this assumption and all of, us are do all of us that are single are doing this in some way. I need to find the perfect person. I need to find the right and the compatible person for me. And we think that that person's out there. But what we fail to recognize is that we always marry the wrong person. Always. Because even if we think this is the right person, we're compatible in every way, you change. This other person changes. That's the very nature of marriage. It and you, as a human, change. Think about when you were 18 years old and things you wanted when you were 18 the bands you liked, the kind of food you liked, the things you wore, things you thought about the world. And now, let's say you're 30-something. Do you think the same way? You change, you've changed a lot. 
you continue to change. But many people don't want to do this last part of that, that Harawa says. We don't want to learn how to love and care for the stranger to whom we find ourselves married 15 years in. So what we do is we'd rather leave. Or we ra rather emotionally disconnect from our spouse. Or we just go about our individual loves, our individual lives existing. Rachel Cohn wrote an article in Elle magazine, a reputable source to quote tonight. <laughs> and um, she wrote this article a few years ago. It's still super relevant. It, and her article was called, Till, Till Whatever Do Us Part. And in the article, it says, most marriages these days are, she calls them consumer marriages. And she writes this. She says, as long as my spouse is meeting my needs, then I stay. But if costs go up and rewards go down, I bolt. And if a better alternative comes along, I'm gone. So there's always a threat to marriage, and couples are always asking, how happy is this marriage making me? See, the purpose of marriage is not personal satisfaction. The Bible says that the purpose of marriage is personal sanctification. This is the purpose of marriage. In other words, marriage is not about your happiness. It's much more about your holiness. Marriage is about your holiness. And this is what the covenant is there for. Marriage is a covenant. And what the, re the reason for the covenant is the covenant binds two people together in a commitment to see each other through the best of times and the worst of times on the way to becoming our future glory selves. Because most of us want to bail when things get hard. Most of us want to bail out. Like, we bail out of jobs when they get hard. We get bail out of relationships when they get hard. We bail out of churches when they get hard. We bail out of cities when they get hard. Towns, places that we live. When something difficult, very difficult happens, we leave. We feel like we're treated wrongly and we're justified to leave. And maybe, maybe, that's okay. Maybe, I don't know. We leave when things get too hard in life. And sometimes that's just the way life goes. And I get that. But with marriage... You actually make a vow that you won't ever do that. You actually are vowing yourself that when things get hard and I feel like I'm justified to leave, I won't leave. And the thing is, is that the vow that you make to another person is strong enough to renew the love and the zeal of marriage over and over and over again. That's the beauty of the covenant. The covenant renews the marriage. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this exact, would say this exact same thing. When he would... Um, do a wedding of a young couple, he would often end the wedding like this. He would say, today you are young and very much in love, and you think that your love will sustain your marriage. It won't. But your marriage can sustain your love. That is so profound. He's saying when you stand there at the altar of a holy matrimony, there is something about like just being so stoked and in love that you think that this love right here will sustain us for the rest of our lives, and I can't wait to get more and more in love with you, and I can't wait to our honeymoon, and then after our honeymoon, and then start a life together. Like, oh my gosh, it's going to be so fun. It's going to be awesome. And you think that your love will sustain your marriage, and he's saying flat out, it will not sustain your marriage. That feeling of love that you have right now will only go maybe, I don't know how long, it just depends. It won't fuel the rest of your marriage, but your marriage your covenant, your vows can actually sustain your love. 
And what he means is that the marital vows, the covenant of marriage, has the capacity to hold both of you together through falling in and out of love. A marriage, a marriage covenant could, has the power to, and the thing that, that God does in a marriage covenant has the power to get you through every trial in your life if you would submit to that covenant fully. See, Tim, uh, Tim and Kathy Keller wrote an excellent book on marriage. I highly recommend, I think every single person should read this, married, single, whatever. Everyone should read this book. It's so good. Uh, and by the way, my wife and I uh, kind of studied for this sermon together. I'm the representative that gets to deliver it. She does not like public speaking. She hates it way more than I do, so I'm up here. Um, but even this quote uh, that I'm about to read from this book, Meaning of Marriage, uh, we read it when the book first came out, listened to the the, the, the MP3's teachings on it and read the book together and then even taught a little class at the early, at the beginning of our church, like a couple years into our church. And, um, and we were just going through it again this last week. And this, we had highlighted this and underlined it and talked about it. But we went back to it and this quote has, uh, just, just five years, six years later, has completely new meaning to us now. And it's the same thing that the, that the marriage covenant has the capacity to hold you through thick and thin, has the capacity to renew your love. This is what they say in their book. Um, they say the legal, the legal bond of marriage, the legal bond of marriage covenant creates a space of security where we can open up and reveal our true selves. We can be vulnerable, no longer having to keep up facades. We don't have to keep selling ourselves we can lay the last layer of our defenses down and be completely naked, both physically and in every other way. Okay, listen, let me try to explain this to you. What he's saying is what I've been trying to say is that what, what covenant does is that it gives you something that you can't get anywhere else because people in every other sphere of your life can actually leave you physically. They, people leave all the time. Like if you, it's really hard to let people in to know your true, 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 true self and to see you in every, every, every moment and see you completely naked physically and otherwise and then say, I'm sticking around. Because when we do that in community group, people can leave. You can like, I don't know if you've ever got to a place where your community group is so tight and you shared all your stuff and then someone's, they're moving. You're like, you're moving? You can't move. I just like, I, I, you just know all my stuff now. Like you can't leave. We're in this together. No, but I, I, we have to move. Okay, you have to move. Or maybe you have to move. You bore your soul, you're, it's all there, and then you leave. Or people leave, that, your best friends leave. People move away. People, but not in marriage. There's something about marriage that, that when you commit to a covenant, you're there with each other for life. And what that does is that allows you to start to peel back the layers of yourself and allow yourself to be completely known exposed, naked, completely, more so than in any other aspect. And this is why, after a few years of marriage, things come out that the other person never knew were there. Maybe a trauma surfaces that turns into some sort of addictive behavior. The thing is, is that even the person that, ha that has the trauma didn't know that that was in there because they were never safe around anyone. And they get into marriage, 
And then all of a sudden they start going, I can be me. And then all themselves come out. And they don't even know what's coming out. And then they become something or someone else. And they don't even know it. Like a trauma surfaces that they've never, ever dealt with. Or maybe they try to deal with it in therapy, but you don't live with your therapist. They try to deal with it in counseling, but you don't live with your counselor. But there's something that happens when two souls come together and then they're naked and unashamed and it comes out. And the, and the other spouse might feel lied to. Like, whoa, 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 wait, time out. You didn't disclose this at the beginning. And in all fairness, the person didn't even know that was there. And there are parts of ourselves that we are even strangers to because we've kept up the facades for so long. No matter how much therapy you've had or how self-aware you think you are, there is something that comes out in marriage that you never saw coming. And marriage is naked before the other person and that's in a way that's way more than physical, but the unashamed part doesn't come at the beginning. You're not naked and unashamed at the beginning. You work on, that takes a lot of work. My wife Ashley has dealt with a lot of trauma as a child and it caused her to bury stuff until the second year of our marriage, which turned into some unhealthy lifestyle patterns, which progressed in ways that threatened her health and our marriage. And this is one of the reasons why I hate talking about marriage. I just, I don't like talking about this. And there are, there were, when this happened, there's two ways I can look at this. The first way is, well, why didn't I know this beforehand? which I did at the beginning, to be honest, which brought up all my family of origin stuff, my dysfunction. It brought up my way that, the ways that I deny pain. I avoid it. I use distraction and anger to cover it up. And so I would do that. I'm like, I would, I'd get angry and then I would avoid and I would get distracted and then I would pour myself into my work and distract myself through my work because I didn't know how to deal with this. And that was a very, un all my unhealthy patterns came out. All of my ugliness came out when Ashley's ugliness came out. And it was two ugly things confronting each other, and it was really ugly. The second way I could have handled this, and this didn't happen until much later, is by saying, I'm sorry, I didn't know this. Let's work at this because we're both not going anywhere. There's something here that God wants to use in both of our lives if we just stay with it. That option was really hard for me. To be honest, I love, I hate pain, and I run away when there's pain. I distract, I, I disengage. I'm like, I just can't deal with this. I do something else. And so God was using this, like, traumatic thing that was surfacing to deal with my stuff as well. Because the thing is about marriage is that God is sanctifying both people at the same time. The way my, li my wife likes to put it, is that when you get married, you allow, the, uh, you allow another channel of sanctification in your life. When you get married, you allow another channel of sanctification to enter into your life, but this channel is mainline straight to the deepest part of you. It's like a mainline channel of sanctification right to the dirtiest, nastiest, deepest part of you that no one sees, that you even hide from yourself. And God uses that. And God has used Ashley in my life to allow me to face all my tendencies and sin patterns. And God has used me in Ashley's life in the same way. It is painful. Marriage is so difficult. But it's, it's, it's what, but all sanctification is difficult. Not only does marriage covenant have the capacity to hold both partners together through emotions and trials, 
because it does. If you allow it, marriage can actually hold you through all of these things because the thing that held Ashley and I together when we wanted to leave was that we made a covenant to each other. We made a vow. I stood before witnesses and God and said, Ash, when you get sick, I'll be there. And she was going through sickness. And I had to be there. And then I was going through my own version of sickness, and Ash had to be there. You just couldn't go anywhere. And so marriage, if you, if you enter into it rightly, like, hey, we're not going anywhere, we have to work this out. But not only that, because that sounds like very, that sounds very difficult. I'm like, oh, wait, it just sounds like, it sounds really unfun. And it, it was, but the, here's, here's the beauty of it. Not only does it have the capacity to hold you guys, it also has the power to renew the love. This is the romantic part, okay? This is where it gets a little bit romantic. This is like the stuff that the movie Notebook was all about right here. <laughs> this is the kind of marriage we all want. This is the, the opening sequence of Up, right? This is that sort of marriage right here. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> happy, don't think about it. It doesn't end happy. It, it's, it's the kind of thing, kind of marriage through thick and thin. This is what we all really want. I think some of us are even afraid of marriage because we're like, can you really know me and can I be my... Can God bring up all the stuff in my life, and will you still be here through it? Marriage, covenant marriage is thick and thin, and it only happens through binding covenant. I have fallen in love with Ashley over and over again through falling out of love with her, but knowing that we still, we have to, we have to make it work as a married couple. And then I would fall out of love with her where I, at points I'm like, I don't, even, I don't even know who you are anymore. I think I'm turning into a different kind of person. I don't know if we're even compatible anymore, but I can't go anywhere. And then all of a sudden, that binding thing allowed me to fall all the more in love with her all over again. It's like I fall in love with three different women since Ash and I have been married, and they've all been her. It's like that. It's like, I don't know who you are anymore. And they're like, oh, I love this person. And that's totally different than the 20-something-year-old Ashley that I was married to. This is a whole different person, and I'm in love with you. This is the, the, the marriage covenant does this. It renews it. This is Dietrich Bonhoeffer's thing. The marriage can sustain the love over and over and over again. Just last year, the ups and downs of our marriage, the, the heights of like where we were and the depths of where we were just last year, the only thing that held us together was a marriage covenant. That's it. But I understand this idea of covenant is at odds with our culture because we think that marriage has much more to do with compatibility and chemistry than covenant. Well, am I compatible with this person? Do I, feel, do I have chemistry with this person? Am I attracted to this person? And we base it all, a lot of it on attraction. The thing is, is that you're attracted to something about them right now that will probably not be there in 15 years. Maybe, maybe not. See, covenant is about sanctification because no one is perfect. You will not find a perfect spouse because you're as messed up as the next person. You're messed up. You are. And if you think, well, there's not a messed up, there's a person out there that's not that messed up. No, there's not. You get two messed up people together. This is what marriage is. You're flawed. You have problems. You're not the person you're created to be. But you're on your way there, aren't you? Wouldn't you say that God is like turning me into who I am in Christ? When you say, as we talked about in Ephesians chapter 2, that we're already seated in the heavenlies in Christ, that we have a future glory self that Christ is allowing us to be be like moved into, 
Like, I fl- like Philippians says, that, that Christ is faithful to complete the good work he began in us. We all know that we're flawed, and we're on our way there. Well, if you understand that, then you can understand what your spouse comes in your life to do. What you want is a person who understands what God is doing in your life and is making you and what he's making you into in Christ. And then he partners, that person partners with God in that great endeavor. So I'm partnered with God because I see, I, I see something in Ash. And I love to have a front row seat to what God is doing in Ashley's life. A spouse gets to be the best seat in the house. It's like being on the floor of a, of a basketball game, right? You hear the trash talk. You might get sweat on you. You might get stepped on, but you have the best seat to experience your team winning. It's, that's, that's what it's like in marriage. You get like the best seat, but you get, it's, it's there's tra- sometimes there's trash talk, just saying. And you get, but, and, there, and it's really difficult and it, all this stuff, but you, you get the best seat in the house of, of seeing all of these glimpses of the person that God is making the other person into. And you get to partner with God in that. That's what marriage is, is about. That's what covenant is. So let's close here. Let's close with Ephesians 5.25 again. Because marriage, this is the covenant of marriage, but it's a lot higher than all of this. Husbands, love your wives. And Paul cannot talk about almost anything without talking about Jesus and getting, getting like brought up to like thinking of the, of the love of Christ. But especially in marriage, he says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. And he's not even talking about marriage anymore. He's just talking about Jesus. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish to be holy and blameless. He starts talking about husbands, and he's like, let me just talk about Jesus. Because what marriage is, is marriage is a picture, and Christ is the reality. And the reality is that Christ has been, has ch- with that love, that, that tenacious, raw, I'm there through thick and thin love that we're to model in, in our marital vows, this is what Christ has done for us. And Christ, what this means, what Ephesians 5, what this means is that Christ doesn't doesn't find us beautiful, Christ makes us beautiful. Christ doesn't go, whoa, look at this, beauty, I want to marry you. No, he finds someone, people, who are, who are stained and blemished and unholy and full of blame, and he shows us spousal love anyway, and he gives his life for us, and he, and he marries us, and then he makes us beautiful. He makes us beautiful. He marries us, and he's like, my love makes you beautiful. You need this love in order to love your spouse well. Because Jesus' love for us and his commitment to us is the true reality to which all marriages are just a shadow. So if you are married, you need the, lo- the spousal love of Jesus that is loving us toward something. Now, if you're single in here, you don't get off the hook because if you are in here and you want too much to be married, it leads to a lot of unhappiness. It just does. You know this. Because you begin to idolize marriage and think that marriage is the answer to all of your problems. I will say as a married person, marriage is not the answer to all your problems. The purpose of life is not marriage. You are not less of a person because you're not married. The purpose of life is to be faithful and follow Jesus. And he might lead you into marriage. Marriage. 
But if you, but on the other side, if you don't want anything to do with marriage, if you're like, oh gosh, I, marriage, I hate the thought of marriage. I want to be single forever. Unless God's given you the gift of singleness, that's a different thing. But if you like don't have the gift of singleness, but you're like, oh, I hate marriage, ugh. It could be that you've made an idol out of yourself and your time. And maybe, maybe, I'm not accusing anyone, but maybe you should think about this. You've just used people sexually without any commitment. And you think you have all you need from them. We need a healthy view of marriage. We need it in the city more than ever. We need it in this generation more than ever. And it starts with understanding the love of Christ. And then it flows from there, the commitment that Christ makes to us, we, in turn, make to each other in the context of marriage. Let's pray. God, I want to pray for uh, marriages in our church right now. I pray that you give them strength and grace. I pray against the schemes of, of Satan and his, um, his powers and rulers and authority in the heavenly places that would come against uh, vow, marital vows marital commitments to each other, um, people that have given up in their marriage that are just like, I'm just going to stay married and just find my, find my joy somewhere else and find the, my, um, my sanctification somewhere else and like pour my, all my work and time into something else, and I don't want to think about my marriage. I pray for those marriages. That's the easy place to get to. I pray that you would uh, bring about your love that melts the hearts of those people to know that, that you are, they're loved and that, that that committed love of Christ is like spurring them on to then re-engage with their marriage. Pray for those that in here that are not married and they really, really want to be married um, and they even hear this, you're like, I, this sounds really scary, but I, I think I want to enter into this. Pray that you would help them reframe in this in this really sick world we live in with like the way that we um, turn, in, turn relationships into consumer relationships, I pray that you'd give them vision through all that. Give them wisdom in choosing a spouse. And Lord, would you bring our marriages in this church to a place where they all point to Jesus. So bring holiness and purity, forgiveness and grace. Bring all that now, Lord. In, in Christ's name we pray. Amen.